Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic, and uh, Pride never ends around here. That's true. Yeah, Pride Month is June, but Pride is every day. Well, we, should, we should be having Pride every day. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it, we, we, here at the Critically Acclaimed uh, Streaming Club, every week... We watch a different older film mm. on various streaming services because there's so much emphasis on newer films that sometimes people forget to uh, really dig deep and find some of the better and more interesting older films mm. uh, on various streaming services. So every week we pick, we pick a streaming service, pick a category, and then we put it to our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network to vote for the film that we are going to review. And with uh, Pride Month coming to a close... We wanted to make sure that we emphasize uh, queer cinema, and there was no better place to do that, uh, perhaps, than Criterion Collection, which had a really wonderful assortment oh, yeah. of well, uh, art house and uh, classics films from throughout all of cinema history. Most of the streaming services did that, uh, and, did something, and anyway. you typically do that around, yeah. around June. They have sort of a, a queer film section. Uh, and you kind of get to compare and contrast and see which ones have very good queer sections and which ones have not very good queer sections. And, and especially in the case of the streaming club, we're looking for sections that go back more than a few years. Yeah. And uh, th yeah, that mm. is becomes like a bigger ask of many uh, streaming uh, services. Criterion had a whole bunch. They, they put out a whole lineup and uh, we gave a variety of uh, options to our patrons. And the one that they picked... Over, over female trouble. Over female trouble. John Waters classic. Mm. Uh, they chose a 1935 film starring Catherine Hepburn, directed by George Cukor, uh, which at the time was a notorious box office dud that nearly sank Catherine Hepburn's career. And yet now it is considered a cult classic for its early and... We'll talk about it. Somewhat muddled attempts to uh, bring queerness to the big screen. Mm. We're going to talk about a film I called ish, but yeah. yeah, ish, but still, uh -huh. we're going to talk about the film Sylvia Scarlet. Uh, Sylvia Scarlet is, I, I, uh, which I keep wanting to call Sylvia Sydney. Why? Because it sounds like Sylvia Sydney, and she's a real person, okay. and I keep mixing up the, the title of this movie with her name. Uh, Sylvia Scarlet is based on a novel by Compton McKenzie. Uh, it is, uh, it, it's my understanding it's a somewhat liberal adaptation, but the, the movie, I haven't read the book, uh, the movie stars Catherine Hepburn, of course, uh, she'd already been, like, a bit, a bit of a star, like, she'd actually had, like, a pretty mm. good, like, early career, I think she'd already been She made in... several films with Cucor, didn't she? Oh, um, yeah, they yeah. were, he, he kind of, I, I don't know if he discovered her, but he was a really, like... He worked with her a lot, and mm. um, they, they I mean, they did, uh, I think, the Philadelphia Story together. Uh -huh. That was the film that kind of, he kind of wrecked her career with Sylvia Starlet, and then she really struggled in the interim. She still made some good movies in the late mm. 30s. We reviewed on our podcast only the best reviewed Stage Door, uh, which is a great motion picture. Um, but, uh, yeah, when uh, the Philadelphia Story came out, that really helped mm -hmm. uh, her career rebound. Uh, even some of the films uh, that are considered classics today, like Bringing Up Baby, were not well, here we go. Um, particularly big hits when they came out. Uh, Philadelphia Story, Little Women, Holiday, Adam's Rib, uh, Sylvia Scarlet, mm -hmm. um, Keeper of the Flame. Uh, they, they made a bunch of films together. They made a bunch of films. That's just, uh, just how it goes. But yeah, she again, she'd already been in Little Women. That was huge. She had already won the Academy Award for Best Actress in 1933 for Morning Glory. So she was a big deal 
She uh, the year that Sylvia Scarlet came out, she was nominated for Best Actress for the film Alice Adams, which, if I'm being frank, is not a particularly great film. I, it's not. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's dated like crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, but Sylvia Scarlet is actually a pretty fun farce. It has a, a sort of Noel Coward. Uh, sort of body theater quality to it that I appreciate. It's a very raucous motion picture. I'm not sure it. In, I'm not sure it works, but it is very fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plot of the movie is that Catherine Hepburn's father uh, played. They're, they're French characters. Yeah, they're French. Uh, they're, he's played by the great Edmund Gwen, who would go on to uh, win an Academy Award for playing Santa Claus in Miracle on 34th Street. That's right. Uh, he has. Okay, they're, they're, her mother died. And he's about to be arrested for embezzling from a company to cover, like, his gambling debts. So he's going to flee the country. And she says, well, take me with you. Hmm. And he says, well, I can't because if we go together, that's going to be more obvious. They know I'm on the run with my daughter. We'll stick out like a sore thumb. And Sylvia Scarlet says, oh, well, in that case, I will immediately start dressing as a boy. And she doesn't, like, suggest it. She just, like... Runs to the bathroom, starts cutting off her hair. As in, yeah. I have been looking for an excuse well, forever. <laughs> we are doing this. Thank it's, you. Thank it's all you. Very, thank you. It's all very frantic, uh, and, and like the police are breathing down his neck, essentially, uh, or, or I guess his uh, who he owes uh, breathing down. Well, his he, neck. He's worried that the police are after him. We yeah. actually don't see any evidence that the police are after no, him. No, but, but, but they have they have to like get on a boat like in an hour, yeah. so they they do have to rush. She cuts yeah. off her hair, dresses as a boy, uh, and. The, these sorts of uh, tales of drag, mm-hmm. where the rest of the world perceives the, the cross-dresser as uh, the gender they're dressed as, mm-hmm. uh, typically you need to take it on faith. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of filmmakers Every single production of Twelfth Night, for instance, mm-hmm. I've seen. You kind of just have to know that Viola, people see Viola as Cesario. I always feel like there's a lot. there's either a lack of confidence or a certain uh, a phobia involved with a lot of those performances where, listen, we've got this beautiful actress or we've got this uh, whatever, and like we don't want to go too far mm. and make them unsexy to, to a heteronormative yeah. uh, uh, glance. And as a result, it always feels like we have, to, yeah, we have to take it on faith. I will say this. I think Catherine Hepburn does it very well. I think she's giving. She has the the, the that opening scene we just talked about mm. was a scene that they added after a nightmarish test screening that people apparently hated, mm. uh, and the original intention was to drop the audience into the film kind of in medias res, and you don't know what's going on. Uh-huh. And that next scene where they're on the boat, she is actually filmed like from the back and in shadow a lot. There's a lot of uh, sort of silhouette. Hmm. And they're not really coming out and saying that she is she is dressed as a boy, uh, and I feel like Catherine Hepburn modulated her performance very particularly to that. And I think George Cukor, when when she is not dressed as conventionally as a woman, uh, he typically keeps the camera further away from her and lets her do the physical work. She is hmm. doing the. All of the mannerisms that male actors of the time were doing. Yeah. And she is nailing it. And <laughs> she has got this incredible, like, I, I I would be very curious someday. I've never interviewed Leonardo DiCaprio. I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio's, like, whole, like, dashing adventurer vibe in Titanic mm. 
I feel like the the DNA from that is <laughs> Sylvia Scarlet. I feel like that's she, she's like jumping out of windows all yeah. acrobatically. She is like whipping her hair around yeah. in that it's, very it's handsome, the, it's, dashing way. It's and, the it's the hairdo and the, the, it helps. The, the hairdo does a, a lot of the heavy lifting. Not not to say that Catherine Hepburn is not an excellent actress. I think her mannerisms is. are just really yeah. perfect. If you yeah. if you follow the performance uh, yeah, but, uh, trends of the 1930s, yeah, they they. Uh, but yeah, Catherine Hepburn and her father are on a ship a uh, little bit of comic misadventure when she accidentally goes into the ladies restroom mm-hmm. and is shoot out uh and uh one night her father gets a little bit uh, a little bit tipsy drinking at the bar and uh reveals his plan to a handsome mountebank played by Cary Grant yeah and the dad is actually he's not just fleeing hmm. the country he is also smuggled uh he was, ex- he was working at a lace factory ex- yeah some very expensive Fabric. Yeah, so he was like had it like wrapped around him, and it would be worth like fifty bucks on the market, enough to get like started mm. in the nineteen thirties. And Cary Grant finds out about this, and when they arrive in England, Cary Grant rats them out, mm. and obviously Sylvia Scarlet now now going by the name of Sylvester, Sylvester Scarlet is furious about this. Mm. Uh, the talking about all the things they would do to Cary Grant if they saw them again, and sure enough, when they get on the train after everything's been taken from them, Cary Grant says, "Oh, yeah, what else would you would you do to me?" Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Well, this is awkward now." And Cary Grant says, "It is awkward, but I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll tell you what. Here's why I did that. Uh, turns out I'm a scam artist. I'm actually a bigger smuggler than you are. Mm-hmm. So while you were stealing like fifty dollars worth of fabric, I actually had jewels." So if I ratted you out, I'm I mean, not the kind take, of person they're going to away from yeah, me. They're yeah. not going to look at my at my uh, uh, luggage, and as a result, I will happily give you part of my take mm. as a thank you. And that's when they start becoming scam artists together. Um, they're, at no point they're French, so they play that up at first, yeah. like a, oh no, here's a, yeah. a a young French boy who mm. is is lost and needs money. Let's yeah. beg from all of the. Uh, they're in England, so yeah. let's beg from all of the Brits. And yeah, and they're playing it up like, yeah. oh, this, oh, this and, poor boy doesn't Kira, speak any English, and, and they're Kira, so yeah, sad. Cary Grant is like the the compassionate one mm. who sets up this drama, and yeah. they go go out. Bad. Everyone, everyone, please, I'm giving something. Everyone should give something. Yeah. And of course, everyone puts anything they had, and then uh, Catherine Hepburn accidentally says something in English. It, and, yeah. yeah. Um, after that scheme goes awry, Cary Grant starts talking about oh, if only we had. A girl in our con artist theater troupe because there's so many more scams that we can play mm. with a more diverse cast. Uh, and it's what's interesting to me, and I think it's it's very very telling here about how uh, Sylvester Scarlet is not just doing this for pragmatic reasons. This is this is a big part of their mm. identity. Uh, they could tell Cary Grant at any time. They're, they're, the plot reason. Mm. Why Sylvia becomes Sylvester is to hide from the police. Cary Grant already knows that there are on the run from the police. Right. She's just doing it because that's Sylvia is Sylvester. Yeah. And the movie never comes out and says that. I've heard that the book is actually a bit more explicit about uh, this being more of a trans story. But Mm -hmm. the movie seems really really hesitant to ever come out and say something, which makes sense because it's this is during the production code. Mm. And Well, the, there wasn't even language for it yet. Yeah. It's just... The, the, it, the, movie, the movie is confused by the mm. story it's telling. Right. And it doesn't know how far to go sometimes. Sometimes it goes where people considered way too far. Uh, there's a scene later on where a woman, um, uh, again, thinking, you know, 
Sylvester was Sylvester hmm. uh, draws like a mustache on yeah. Carrie Grant on a, on a Catherine Hepburn, and uh, and seeing how rugged Sylvester looks, kisses Sylvester. Hmm. That scene did not go over well in 1935. Apparently. Mm, whatever. Yeah, uh, fuck them. Like, Marlena Dietrich had already been doing bits like this in movies for a yeah, while. There, there's, cared. there's always a, there was a little bit of queering. Um, so, Sylvia seems very comfortable being Sylvester. That's sort yeah. of the queer element of this. Yeah, but uh, Sylvia is also not into women. Uh, because when that happens, when the woman kisses her, it's, it's like a very gay panic moment. It's like, how yeah. dare you? Don't touch me. Kind of, she's kind of grossed out by that experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, the two actresses did kiss on the mouth, so sure. they're, they're both okay with it. Um, but yeah, the, the character is not okay with it. And later in the movie, when Sylvia finds herself attracted to a man, she goes, she dresses as a woman again. Well, not initially. Mm. Initially, uh, what, what happens well, it's, over it's, the... And this is very much like Twelfth Night. This yeah. is um, Cesaro fall, falling in love with, um, what's the Duke's name? Oh. Orsino. Orsino. Yeah. Uh, if, and to an extent, but I, I think it's, it's a little different than that because there's not as much reason to keep the scam going. So what happens is... Um, Initially, uh, Cary Grant and her father decide to, they find out that a very wealthy family has gone away for the summer and they go to that family's house and they have a party with the maid Mm. uh, and um, they're basically going to steal everything. And I, I love the part of the maid. She's, she's actually great. she's really really wonderful. She's she's uh, mm. gives a really good performance. She's played by Denny uh, Moore. She's incredibly funny. She's uncredited yeah. in the movie, which is weird because she's like oh, the fifth strange. lead. Yeah, she's like the fifth lead. Like only the main stars are credited in this movie, which is just it's not fair, honestly. Because mm, yeah. she's she's a champion. She's incredibly funny. Mm-hmm. She's very very talented physical comedian. Uh, I, I think she's great. Honestly, I'm like I'm like a fan, and I'm actually mad I haven't really seen her in anything else. I'm looking at apparently she was one of the millions of roles in in uh, the women. Okay, well, it's so a, you know, it's a huge cast of the women, but it, yeah, exactly. Uh, I've seen Bachelor Mother, but that was a long time ago, and I don't mm-hmm. really recall her in it. Um, uh, but Secrets of an Actress. I'm from Missouri. I haven't seen yeah. any of these movies. Yeah, there's a lot of she. She had a pretty prolific career, but a mm-hmm. lot of her movies aren't talked about very often, and we've missed them. This is a great performance, and it makes me want to see more roles from Denny Moore. Um, but uh, so she's like really, really eager to. She falls into like this weird uh, romantic relationship with uh, Sylvia Sylvester's dad, uh, and Cary Grant tries to steal gems from her. Again, he's big on gems and uh, small, valuable, yeah. easy to smuggle. I love, I love uh, the way that Sylvester sort of is like they do the scams. Hmm. But they're also kind of, there is a line they won't cross. And there's this hilarious bit when they're bemoaning how their scams aren't going great right now. Where, so I was just like, I got it. I got, I don't, why hasn't this occurred to me before? I've got it. The perfect scam. We all get jobs. At that point, (laughs) Cary Grant like picks them up, throws them into another room, slams the door. Um but uh, when Cary Grant is stealing jewels and, and then uh, poor uh, Maudie, Denny Moore's character, is uh-huh. like crying because, oh no, I can't hide that. I can't, like, we're wearing their clothes and I can do the laundry and who gives a crap. But 
I can't hide the fact that their necklace is gone. Hmm. I will be fired. I will probably be arrested. They're never going to believe I had nothing to do with it. She's furious, and and uh, everyone's like pretending to look for the gems. And finally, uh, Sylvester says, "I will literally run outside and yell for the police if you don't give hmm. this poor woman her her the I'm, property back." Yeah. And they do. They <laughs> run outside and they call for the cops. And Kerrigan's like, "Fine, fine, fine. Sorry, sorry." And and they're all a little tipsy at that point. Yeah. So that's that's. Uh... Yeah, it's worth, it's, it's worth noting that uh, Cary Grant wasn't somebody yet when this movie was made. Like, he'd mm. been working, but he wasn't Cary Grant. And although the movie itself was a bomb at the box office, this movie was one of the early films that got Cary Grant noticed. Because yeah, it was well, a big, high-profile role for him, and it played to his strengths. Yeah, and, and this was uh, shortly after um, the uh, the debacle with... Uh, uh, Hmm. Uh, Rhett Butler uh, in uh, in It Happened One Night. Oh, uh, Clark Gable Clark took Gable. off a shirt in It oh, yeah. Happened One Night and wasn't wearing a, an undershirt, bare chest, and that was you know, mildly scan- actually wide, widely scandalous at the time. Yeah, but it uh, also it also made it, it people opened, buy fewer undershirts. Yeah, it actually hurt the undershirt <laughs> industry. I love that detail. It's such a great. Um, I love that. And uh, Cary Grant appears shirtless in this, so yeah. it's just a thing now. Yeah, I, I like to see the trend continuing it's in cool. these movies from the '30s. Um, so they decide, they team up with Maudie, and they decide that here's what we're going to do. Here's our new scheme, because Maudie's big dream was she wanted to be an entertainer. Mm. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start a traveling theater troupe of clowns, and we're going to drive along the beach performing for people, and then they'll give us money for that. And at this point, I'm watching this movie, I'm like, hey, movie! Can you pick a plot? Yeah. It, what are we doing right now? It, it, what it feels like, and it's a pretty short movie. It's like 87 minutes. Yeah, and uh, but it gets through a lot. It, well, it feels like a, a condensed version of like a five-act play mm, where there's yeah. like little bits where we, you know, first we introduce the premise, then we see them on the road, and then we change the premise a little bit. They turn into mountebanks, and then they hook up with the theater troupe, and mm. that's when they have, you know, the actual romance story. And then by the end, we have, it, it becomes a love story. Yeah, I was uh, I was watching this with uh, Michelle mm-hmm. uh, M. Lopez de Silva, my wife and partner, and uh, we were kind of just trying to like sort of suss out because the movie. I think your five act structure uh, uh, observation is pretty clear, but the movie kind of flits between genres. It starts mm-hmm. out it's kind of like a tragic melodrama. Oh no, mother is dead, and we must go no, on the run, right. and then it turns into a con movie, which really mm-hmm. wasn't a well defined genre yet, but it's doing it, uh, and then it turns into this like weird creepy scam film where we're like pulling one over on this poor maid and then it turns into a traveling theater show and then it turns into a comedy of errors and then it turns into this tragic romance then it turns into a very tragic romance and what what Michelle pointed out actually is that it really has a lot in common with the picaresque novel yeah like yeah. I, I was going to compare it to early dickens yeah it's it's there's a young hero they're they're very very likable and it's just they're Scattershot adventures as they go from one thing to the next. Yeah, uh, and there's something to be said for that, but I, I, there's also very, very easy to make that just feel unfocused. Well, unfocused uh, because of pacing. If yeah. had this been uh, you know a, a two hour and fifteen minute film, like an then epic. Yeah. well, maybe not an epic, just something well, fact, that breathed long. a little bit. That's all. That feels a bit more epic, well, like, and especially for the nineteen thirties. But yeah, yeah if, if you went through a not even their whole lives. Just if we spent more time with each portion, it would have, yeah. would f- would feel a lot more natural. Yeah, because speeds along too quickly. Yeah, like imagine like you're you're listening to this. You're alive. 
Uh, you've probably gone through incidents in your life that would be dramatically different from each other if you like filmed them and put them right next to each other. Like, mm-hmm. ah, yes, I was in a, I was in a play. I was in How to Succeed in Business without really trying. Like when I was in high school, and then. Ten years later, my dad died, and it was really sad. But if you put them right next to each other, it feels like, wait a minute, pick a pick a lane. Bibbs's biography, like you gotta, you were totally on this like real high where you were having a great time with all your friends, and then all of a sudden, my dad is dead, and mm-hmm. all of those things are true, and all of those things are real. But the way you present them matters, and it affects how the audience interprets what they're seeing, and whether or not it feels like a natural extension of events, or whether it feels like the movie is just, it's almost like it's getting bored with itself. Mm. Um, so they start this theater troupe, and in the middle of one of their performances, they have, there's a heckler who makes Maudie cry, and uh, Sylvester stands up for but her. It turns out the heckler and all of the people he's standing with are from a rival troupe, like a rival acting troupe. No, it's not the most a rival acting troupe, they're just wealthy artists. Uh, they're wealthy? They have a big fucking house. Oh, I, I didn't think that was their house. Yeah, it's their I th- house. I thought they were, like, drifting through. No, there's, like, it's, like, uh, it's, it's... I don't it's, know why that was the impression it's I got. A, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a wealthy fan. It's a All wealthy right. dude. And uh, uh, they invite these actors over to their house, and, of course, uh, these actors are from the l- lower class, and they get mm-hmm. drunk, and they're kind of, like, abused a bit by, like, their hosts. Mm-hmm. And then when Sylvester fights them... In order to regain their dignity, they're kicked out. But uh, Sylvester is also very taken with this man. Uh, And Sylvester returns to apologize in a very... For me, it seems like a very clear uh, uh, parallel with the Romeo and Juliet balcony scene, where he's at a window... And Sylvia Sylvester is, you know, on the ground calling up to them. It's like, hey, I just wanted to apologize uh, for before. And the guy's like, it's okay! Cool. <laughs> I should go. And the guy's like, nah, come on up. And they like, climb through the window. Uh-huh. And the dude is immediately incredibly flirtatious with Sylvester. And he he's, uh, says, there's something very queer about you. And I can't figure out what it is. And we're uh, in the audience. We're like, yeah. Hmm. Well, and, I, I get it. Well, and, and, uh, and he, he's bisexual. Uh, or at least period straight up Uh, because uh, when Sylvia says, well, I want to get with this guy, but you know, I, um, I, I want to reveal, you know, my, my original gender. I don't know Uh, if she does. Or or, I don't know. Sylvia slash Sylvester. I want to call Sylvia Sylvester because I do feel like this is a trans story, Mm. but the movie never says it is. So I don't, I don't quite know where to land. Sylvia as Sylvia uh, falls in love with this man and says, I want to sleep with this man as Sylvia. So she gets a dress uh, and presents as a female and says, Hey, it's me, Sylvester. I'm actually Sylvia. Yeah. We had a great flirt last night when you thought it was a boy and now I'm a girl. And, 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 and all he says is cool. Well, he, let's let's make out. You know, I, it's, I, I don't he, does, think he, does. he doesn't freak out at all. He, he doesn't freak totally out. In stride. He laughs a lot, mm. and he calls uh, Sylvia an oddity, mm. and he mocks her for not being feminine. And he says, "You're sitting with your legs too wide. You can't do that." And he's he's making a really uncomfortable action. And for me, my my interpretation mm. of that scene, I agree that he's he's queer. I agree mm. that they're both queer. But uh, for me, it felt to me less like. Sylvia was like, okay, I finally met a man and now I get to be a woman. Mm. It felt to me like Sylvia didn't understand that there were more options. 
than that and thought if I want to be with this man, I have to return to presenting femininity. Mm. And they're at the very least out of practice with it, if not completely uninterested in it. Mm. And it seems to me like this this guy is teaching her how to play act as the kind of woman he would normally be interested in, when the simple fact is he was completely interested in this character when he thought they were a boy. Mm. And it's weird. And then, like, his girlfriend comes in, and she finds out that, like, oh, the boy from the theater troupe is, oh... How adorable! And they kiss yeah, that, Sylvia, that, that, and that, that adds it, yeah. more vibes. And well, and then the, and then this person thinks that like Sylvia is just doing this in order to snatch up a rich guy, and they find a way to just sort of talk about them like they're not in the room and make make Sylvia feel terrible, and she runs away. And that's when Cary Grant mm. sees her and realizes, oh, because there were scenes earlier in the movie where Cary Grant thinking Sylvester, there there was no. Uh, uh, Thinking nothing of it, mm. uh, was like, oh, okay, it's a cold night. We're here in our theater troupe uh, 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 tent. Uh, let's get naked and cuddle because it's cold. Sylvester's mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we're not going to be doing that, and he's like, yeah, oh, well, come on. <laughs> yeah, um, I you know, I wasn't around in the '30s. I don't know how. This is going to be a weird statement. I don't know how queer the country was in yeah. the 1930s. I know there was the production code mm-hmm. that was really putting the kibosh on uh, queer content in mainstream Hollywood cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, there was a lot of um, what is now uh, becoming described as uh, homosocial behavior. Yeah. That is uh, heterosexual, usually it's used to describe men, heterosexual men mm-hmm. getting together and essentially being really gay with one another. Well, and, um, certainly uh, uh, doing things that would be considered like because there's a there's, lot of there's, there's a lot like, of, like a lot of nudity, a lot of touching, yeah. a lot yeah. of like uh, hey, I'm yeah. in the bath, come in here and hang out with me, kind yeah. of thing. And these are things they that call it, they a call lot it of homosocial people, is is yeah. the term for and, that. And these are things that it really I think tragically like have become like really taboo because mm. a lot of people are afraid of being we're afraid of being labeled queer, yeah. whether or not they were. And as a result, there was this sort of like, ah, don't. But like, it's very casual mm. in Sylvia Scarlet. In a way, I actually yeah, the, don't see uh, in a lot of other contemporary movies. But you'll, you'll see that in a lot of uh, movies about uh, soldiers, perhaps. Mm. They'll be talking about like their sexual habits with one another, yeah. but, like very openly and very crassly. Mm. Uh, and you'll especially see it in sports movies. A lot of sports movies. Like in locker room movies where men mm. are nude in locker rooms yeah. together and are showering together and are being uh, and very, very, comfortable. O- very comfortable and open yeah. about their bodies and being close to each other mm. in a way that they aren't when they're outside of the locker room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like there was a lot more of that sort of comfort with uh, members of the same sex in yeah. uh, movies that I've seen uh, that take place in the 1930s. Yeah. There's also a lot of that because I've seen a lot of theater dramas and there's a lot of dressing room scenes yeah. uh, and which aren't just included for titillation's sake where men and women are together and getting undressed, although that's certainly part of it. Uh, what, what we are seeing is just complete and utter comfort. And nowadays we're a little bit savvy about it. So when we see a scene like that, it's typically sold with the queer subtext or yeah. the titillation subtext without presenting just as that homosocial thing. And that's what I was getting a lot of from uh, Sylvia Scarlet was the characters are all very comfortable with 
uh, with each other's bodies and with each other's uh, potential queerness. Mm-hmm. So I saw it as, as being, it is unfortunately still a code, mm-hmm. but I saw it as being uh, pretty open about it. And the scene, I don't yeah. see the scene where um, uh, Sylvia essentially outs herself as a woman mm-hmm. uh, as one where she's being made to feel bad or being humiliated. She looks very uncomfortable. I mean, well, the, the character, by the way, she comes out is uh, Michael Fane, yeah. uh, played by uh, actor Brian Ahern, who was very prolific. Mm. But uh, he, he's he's not disgusted. She's not disgusted. She's a little embarrassed. Mm. But I didn't see her as being, like, mortified or humiliated. She's being embar- She was embarrassed because she's been uh, play-acting as a man for so long mm. that she is still wearing those male uh, mannerisms, see, even for, though she's dressed as a woman. See, for me, my interpretation yeah. of the scene was more that um, she wasn't play-acting masculinity. Mm. Uh, and right now she is play acting femininity. In fact, they they do that literally, where mm. uh, uh, Catherine Hepburn comes in and they do this whole bit where they say hi and they reveal who they are. And uh, Brian Ahern like, laughs and mm. says like, "Oh, that's why I was so attracted to you. I assumed it was just really gay." And uh, then he th- tells mm. uh, Catherine Hepburn like how to act, how to how to how to resist a kiss in an unmasculine way, uh. Uh, and all of these things. And then. Listen, and it gets really, really awkward, and and Catherine Hepburn wants to leave, and Brian Heron's like, okay, 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 we mm. we did this wrong, we did this wrong, come in again, and we're gonna do the whole scene, and so Catherine Hepburn comes in again, and says, look at me, I'm in a dress now, mm. and Brian Heron's like, well, you look fabulous. And then they he says, okay, well, make sure you walk and talk like a woman now, so it's a little less weird for me. And Catherine Hepburn's like, fine. And then I'm going to kiss you. And Catherine Hepburn's like, aha, I resist you this way. Mm. Play acting as femininity. Because yeah. once Catherine Hepburn leaves that scene, she's she's still wearing, she, she wears a dress more for the rest of the movie, but she's more herself, I feel. She's not... She doesn't return to femininity. She doesn't like the movie. Isn't one of those bullshit things where like, oh, at the end I get to just be a woman. Like at the end, like you've seen those movies where like, um, like like uh, the first Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider, mm. where like at the end of the movie after she like gets over her like issues with her father and solves everything. That's the one time we see her in a dress, as though like it's it's a conclusion now. She oh, has I, achieved. I, I don't remember the context for that. I've scene, seen but I've I, seen a lot of stuff yeah. like that where the okay. conclusion or um, uh, the conclusion of uh, Saving Mr. Banks. Where uh, uh, Emma Thompson oh, she gets to go to the premiere. And, well, it's not even that she gets to the premiere. It's that after this, the, the Samuel Banks is about P.L. Travers, who wrote Mary Poppins, and she didn't want to give up the rights to Mary Poppins to Disney, who really, really wanted them, but Disney, she needed the money. Disney essentially bullied it out of her, yeah. Yeah. and uh, but she insisted on having some creative input. And while she was there, uh, she was not easy to work with. And then Disney made basically. A film that was a hit piece, basically, about how P.L. Travers is no fun at all. Mm. And there's this big conclusion where Walt Disney, played by Tom Hanks, uh, goes to P.L. Travers' house after she's had none of this and said, you're not liking this movie. And he just has this long speech about how I know your art and your life better than you, and I'm going to do it better than you, and you should be happy about that. And for some reason, she says, sure. Mm. And then it cuts to, like, months later, the movie's about the movie's been made, and now you know she's feeling better because she's wearing pastels. And it's like, uh, that's, it's, a, that's a it's, visual it's, it's, cue. It's an easy, easy visual cue. I know, but my yeah, point um, is that I feel like it's lazy. And I feel yeah. like this movie doesn't really do that so much, even though mm. she's wearing, uh, Catherine Hepburn is wearing more 
feminine yeah. attire. It's not like she has achieved peak femininity or anything. She's still very much masculine mm. in her mannerisms and presentation. Mm. Uh, and I feel like that's ultimately like something that this Brian Ahern character is... You're right, he's bi, but he's also like... I feel like he's uncomfortable with it at first. And he wants... Mm. Now, that, now that you're a girl, I'm going to make you more feminine. And that by the end of the movie, he realizes that he likes this person for who they are mm. with all of the... It's, uh, whether it's uh, gender ambiguity or yeah. whether she... Or whether Catherine Hepburn is just dressing as a man, and that's going to be that. Yeah, the, They're uh, just fine with that. Um, it, it's it's difficult to read this as a, a trans allegory, even though that's that's how we we read it as a modern audience. Yeah, because they weren't dealing with that kind of language or even those concepts yet. Well, not um, in the open anyway. N- I mean, not, people, not there were trans home. people. There were trans people, but, but like, uh, we, we weren't having the same conversation. Yeah, right well, now. The, we, the terms transsexual and transgender, I, I don't think were even in, at all in common usage or in usage at all. So uh, the actual vocabulary we had for uh, for a trans person yeah. would have been different then. Well, I think it's one of the and, reasons why I think it's fascinating. This movie has been like is only popular now in retrospect because mm. now that we have more ways to discuss what goes on in it than we did at the time, mm. and I feel like there's a lot. It's all in there. There's a lot of subtext and even text, but it's so much easier and more and more satisfying to project a modern narrative onto this yeah, movie, which yeah. is frankly just really messy and unsure of itself. Yeah, like when we look at a, a, another film, another a very queer film made in the 1930s, Bride of Frankenstein, yeah. we can look at that and say, oh gosh, there's a lot of queer subtext mm-hmm. here. James Whale was a queer man, yeah. and he was deliberately putting that in there. He's on record yeah. for, for saying that. that, and, that, George that is a very, uh, and George Cukor, who directed this, mm-hmm. gay as well. Mm-hmm. So, so he he's exploring the queer themes as well. Yeah, there's and, definitely uh, intentional and Catherine Hepburn here. bisexual. So, yeah. um, she's um, she left a, a big queer imprint, as, and especially in early Hollywood, as mm-hmm. as the sort of queer icon. Yeah. Uh, so, I think what we're dealing with more here is Catherine Hepburn as a, as a gay person. Her character as being a a queer woman. Rather than being a trans character, uh, this this came at a time when those things were conflated, and right. uh, you know, gender and sexuality hadn't been separated by language yet. Right. So uh, we're we're, we're describing it as a trans allegory at the time. It read more as a lesbian allegory, well, it, and those are really one and the same. And we're really not even talking mm. about what could be just a, a more complicated view of it, mm. which is that she. Catherine Hepburn's character could be non-binary, yeah, and there really wasn't really terminology for that. There's mm. there's a certain androgyny to some of her performance in this film, mm. uh, and there's many richer textures in terms of gender identity mm. that uh, the movie, yeah, people at the time were not really thinking about or didn't really have the terminology for. And uh, I think we're and again we're still uh, exploring and discovering. Uh, the absolute depth of identity mm. today, and we're learning more all the time, and we're becoming more aware and yeah, more inclusive, and, yeah, um, and and that's that's an amazing thing. And to watch a movie like this, where it feels like there's a character in here who has who has an identity, mm. and the movie is unsure of it, and the character is unsure of it, and the other yeah, characters all, are unsure all... of it. It's 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 clearly something going on here mm. that could be explored much more. Uh, 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 directly today yeah. and watching it hidden behind all of these layers of just completely almost catastrophically tonally 
weird developments. Like, there's a after this whole like almost farcical love story, her father dies and is like falling off a cliff, and it's sad, and it's terrible. And then there's a then there's a damn chase scene. It's fucking weird. It it's. Well, it's throwing everything at the audience, and yeah. it's it's actually a really broad kind of adventure story, and yeah. and we already addressed that it just moves too quickly for us to absorb all of those individual elements. Yeah. If it had moved more slowly and had let us appreciate all of those, all of that weird extremity just yeah. would have felt like a very large story, and that's sure. that's the only the only problem was the pacing and the editing. Yeah, a lot of the queer elements were. Uh, for you know, for, for ages going back centuries and centuries, mm-hmm. uh, queer elements were typically presented as being very body farces. You yeah. use the word farcical, yeah. and uh, as such, being you know presenting these uh, sort of gender panic scenarios as comedic isn't necessarily a humiliation effect. Not it's, necessarily, it can be though. But I don't think it is here. Okay. I think uh, I think the characters are actually all very open and comfortable sexually. I don't think anybody learns anything about Sylvia Scarlet that makes them freak out. Even Cary Grant, yeah. who is the straightest character in the the piece, yeah. uh, seems kind of okay with learning that Sy- Sylvester was female. Mm-hmm. I think maybe maybe what I'm getting at with that mm-hmm. scene, um, I, I I I read maybe a smidge of panic into it, but maybe that's maybe that's not there. My my, I, mean, I think what's what I'm picking up on is the fact that. Catherine Hepburn's character is uncomfortable with the attention that they're getting, with the intent of the conversation to make her character more conventionally feminine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they want to be what the person that they are attracted to wants them to be, Mm -hmm. but they're not comfortable being that. And that is Mm -hmm. something that I, I look at that, and again, I'm looking at it through a modern lens, I look at that and my instinct is to help her get out of there. I would be mm-hmm. like, hey, this is not this moment right now is not going well for you. Mm-hmm. This is like really confusing for everybody and this guy's not giving you what you need right now, even if he's kind of cool with it, he's not handling it very well. And I wanted to help her and my instinct was to run into the movie mm-hmm. and to help her escape because it's awkward and she's clearly unhappy with a lot of it. And I, I didn't read her as being I, unhappy with I any did. of this. I did. She, she's clearly very comfortable queering her own gender lines. And, yes. And move, but the, moving like, back and not f- doing that. Moving He's back trying and to forth, move her all the way to femininity. Moving back and forth between masculinity and feminine, femininity seems to be uh, the comfortable move for her. Mm-hmm. She is. She is. Uh, can be one or the other. She yeah. is both. She uh, and you know she is um, gender queer. Not yeah. necessarily non-binary, not necessarily trans, uh, yeah. and I think, and she's also a very young character, yeah. so that she has this pansexual. Uh, I think he's more pan if he's sort of less concerned with her gender. Yeah, I think so. Um, the, the sort of like pansexual uh, uh, guide, essentially. I saw it more as like a, a mentorship from an elder queer, uh, and I didn't see her as being humiliated. She didn't mm. behave like she was humiliated, and the film isn't having us laugh at her humiliation. No, I don't think the film is having mm. us laugh at her humiliation either, which mm. is why I picked up on it being more sad. 
Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like I don't know. I'm, again, maybe like, like, we're, we're the, looking the, at we're the, looking the, at a scene. Hold on, we're looking the catharsis at a scene. of the movie. The triumph of the movie isn't that she's a woman again. Agreed. That's the point. That's not the point of this story. I agree. Yeah, and that's why this scene. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a scene that doesn't go in that direction, even though it seems like it's trying to a little bit. And it's an uncomfortable for me. It was an uncomfortable scene. And I think what we're both. I think I think here's the problem with mm-hmm. it. Um. It's a scene that isn't allowed to say what it's saying. Mm. It has it to. Does, it doesn't know how to say what it's saying. Exactly, and as a result, you and I are picking up on different mm. elements of her performance, mm. uh, and it's. I guess it's all in there, isn't it? And we kind of have to appreciate that a little yeah. bit. I think. I think Catherine Hepburn is giving a really interesting performance in this movie. I really do. I think she's really. I, I think she's doing something really daring with mm. her performance, and. It pisses me off that there was like I mean uh, the movie is weird hmm. just 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 in terms of genre it's kind of hard to pin down I get it I understand why this was kind of a tough sell like remove yeah remove it's... gay panic remove that even if you, even if you remove that hmm. which I don't think you can but even if you did it's light but it's not particularly funny it's romantic but it's not sweepingly so it's kind of a drama it's kind of a crime film it's just kind of it's hard to it's hard to market it's, yeah what, what they you know? what they call a dog's breakfast yeah. uh it's yeah just a li- little bits of everything yeah it's hard to but market what and I, I appreciate that but i feel like yeah. she's doing interesting work here and it pisses me off that it wasn't appreciated yeah and and i i understand that the filmmakers are actually trying to uh, not not really address, just sort of spitball yeah. notions of gender and sexuality. Yeah. Uh, not come to any sort of conclusion, just sort of look at various facets of it and put them in a movie. And uh, not necessarily bake that, like some of those themes into, some of the themes are baked into the story, some of them are ancillary. Yeah. But I appreciate that they're at least kind of tumbling around with it a little bit. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's very th- uh, farcical and theatrical. Um, you know, theater is, like I said, a very... Uh, traditionally open place when it comes to gender and sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, going all you know, all the way back to the beginning, uh, especially you know, when you consider that you know, f- th- in various theatrical traditions, most notably in Shakespeare's time, men played women's roles, yep. uh, and and as such, I feel like this is trying to get to that theatrical camaraderie that there are many many stories within a theater troupe. You're constantly acting together, and you're just allowed to be the gender or sexuality you are, and you're allowed to have that be in flux. And I feel like when you're young, like the Catherine Hepburn character is, uh, you are allowed to explore a little bit and drift back and forth and not necessarily have a solidified identity. And I feel that's what's the really interesting thing that's going on with Sylvia Scarlet. We get to see not a story of not like a, a story of trans transformation no, or yeah. a story of non-binary declaration. We get to see a little bit of uh, an early Hollywood film trying to figure it out. And yeah. that is exciting to me. I think that is exciting. I think it is exciting to watch a movie that is it, it, clearly it's trying to be ahead of its time. Mm. Um, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't quite it's, it's have so the, far ahead of its time. It doesn't have the words. It doesn't. Have, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it can't possibly like, it, it would be like, I don't know. It would be like a sci-fi film from the twenties trying to convey the, trying to convey Twitter or the internet. Yeah, like it'd be like, like we're, we're, we've got like a general sense of what could come, but we don't know what it's, it's going like to look it's, like. It's, exactly, it has a know? lot of telephones, but it's like telephone that has a visual yeah. element. It's like, yeah. It, yeah. So and they, obviously, they call obviously, it like a t- and obviously t- that's, that's not a good comparison because people actually, you know, had these identities in the thirties, but they're just Hollywood hadn't figured out the terminology for telling these stories. Mm. Uh, 
would have been nice if they'd had the freedom to, but the production code was slapping that down as hard as it possibly could whenever it could, and that mm. sucks. So a film like Sylvia Scarlet stands out a lot. Uh, it's an interesting film. I, I think it's more interesting in that uh, exploratory messiness than it is as a movie. I think mm. as a movie, it's... You're right, it's a dog's yeah. breakfast. It's like yeah. a lot of everything that doesn't really quite track. Yeah. And like, like by yeah. it's only 87 minutes and it loses you by the end. So oh, like, yeah. I it's was, like car chases and shit. It's I like, kinda, I, I don't by the care. Time, yeah, by the like, time the Edmund Gwen died, I was kind of checked out. I yeah. was like, I don't actually care anymore what's happening mm. anymore. I don't so, want yeah, anyone so to end up with anyone. We, 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 like we can't, can't even like say that the ending like even puts a button on it. There's just some stuff in it, it and then it ends. Kind of, yeah, it's just yeah. Cary mm. Grant ends up with that. But like both, it ends with like two... Uh, uh, like a, a man and a woman ending up together, and a man and woman ending up together, but one also gets the sense that neither is going to be like cut and dry as a mm. relationship. And yeah, it's not like a, what, what was the Maurice Chevalier film where the the wife and the mistress ended up hooking oh, up? I love that uh, <laughs> uh, was it the, was it the Love Parade? I think it might have been Love Parade. Uh, yeah, well, one That's of the, the one movie. of the several Maurice Chevalier films were yeah. reviewed on on only the best. Um, um, but yeah, there was one where a, a white. Uh, it was like a, a mistress and a potential and a fiance mm-hmm. um, were both dating the same man, and uh, rather than fight over him, one decided to essentially train the other how to be a, a better wife. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, and they sing a song about yeah, sexy underwear. Yeah, and they sing about a song and like how to dress sexy for your man and what to do in the bedroom, and it's mm. really heavily implied that they slept together in that scene, although mm. it's not depicted on camera. It's not the love parade. That's a different movie. And it wasn't oh, okay. as good a movie. Uh, hold on. Let me, let me, cause I want to, I want people to see this movie because I think it's an interesting yeah. film. Cause that has um, a lot of queer subtext. The smiling a, Lieutenant. Smiling. That's it. The smiling, smiling Lieutenant. Lieutenant is a wonderful movie. Uh, he, Maurice Valley plays a soldier who is in love with a woman of his station, you mm-hmm. know, another uh, woman of the, of the peasantry. And, uh, he, he's like standing at attention for a parade. That's why I thought it was a love parade. And, uh, a, a like a visiting princess, like or, or a princess like comes by in the parade and he's smiling at his girlfriend opposite him, mm. but the princess thinks he's smiling at her, and she immediately falls in love with him and gets and wants to marry him, and he's still in love with this other woman and it's not a good marriage and then finally the two women get together and it is great. Mm. It's really great. Like, it's, it's, it's the really, only scene I really care about yeah. in that movie. It's 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 a sweet movie. I actually really like that movie. I think it really isn't like as. Rom-coms would become very conventional, I think, mm. as time went on and formulas, cinematic formulas for the rom-com started getting kind of hammered down and everyone said, fuck it, we'll just do what it happened one night did for the next 60 years. And But like a movie like The Smiling Lieutenant is just kind of free from all of that predictability and it's just strange and wonderful and everyone's mm. just charming and wants to have sex with each other and it's <laughs> awesome. It's great. Mm. I highly recommend The Smiling Lieutenant. It's a really, really good movie. Um... But, uh, yeah, I'm really glad I saw this. I, I am. Um, mm. The movie, again, the movie itself, bit of a mess, but mm. it is fascinating to watch, and I do hope people yeah, see there, it. It's there, still, it's still on the Criterion channel. There's a lot of good characters in it. Yeah. There's a lot of good uh, little sort of warm human moments throughout. Yeah. That it's just sort of freeform in terms of structure is actually something I don't really mind. Uh, I, I, because think, I think it hurts the pacing, and like that hurts my attention span. It, it hurts but, the pacing. Yeah. You can't really put your thumb on a genre, but um, there's enough in terms of the, the character and the sexuality and the gender queering uh, that you can at least get your fingers around it. Yeah. You, you, there's something to hold on to yeah. here, even if it's not traditional story or structure or like a, a conventional message or journey. Um, I feel like you can, and that, you know, if, if it's a little bit shapeless, you, 
yeah, at the very least, the the viewer can at least start start projecting mm. after a while and sure. say, "Well, I guess I I can't." The film has nothing for me, so mm. I can start projecting more interesting things onto this. And yeah, uh, and yeah, like like you said, we were re- interpreting this scene a little bit differently. About mm. you know, I I saw it as uh, two queers bonding over their queerness, and you yeah. saw it as. Uh, a humiliation scene where somebody was like Slight sort of exaggeration, being pushed, but, but yeah. yeah, it's it's someone it's someone who yeah. is in a state of discomfort as they are trying to possibly be something that they're not. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's someone trying to reveal their identity but doing so in a way that perhaps is masking it. Mm. Uh, but but again, it, it's almost a Rorschach test, which is yeah. why I really want to encourage um, anyone who is who is listening to this podcast. If you watch the movie along with us, or if after this podcast mm. you're intrigued and want to watch it for yourself, again, it's on Criterion right now and it's available elsewhere. Um, if you want to see the film and you want to share your thoughts mm. on what the film means, I'm, we're particularly interested, I think, in uh, people from the queer community. Mm. Um, you know, Whitney is bi. I myself mm. am, am heterosexual. It's just the way the cards were dealt. Uh, and uh, we are, we're only looking at it from as many angles as we can. I would yeah. very, I would love, because I think this film is a bit of a Rorschach test along these lines, I would love to hear if anyone had any different takeaways yeah, uh, from this film because I think they're probably completely valid, and mm-hmm. I would love to hear them because I think that's that's one yeah, of the most fascinating things about this film is the conversation we're having yeah, right I now am. about it. Yeah, uh, I, so, I'm, so please I'm, write I'm, us in. I'm take, taking my own experiences yeah. in, into this movie. Exactly. Um, I, I went went to uh, as a young man. I went to Rocky Horror, mm-hmm. and there were uh, other other bisexual men there who were mm-hmm. very uh, very open about sort of walking walking me through and just sort of allowing me to just say it out loud a little bit more. Yeah, and I'm and I'm going through my own again. Yeah. I, I don't have individual experience, mm-hmm. but I've known a lot of queer people in my life, and I've mm-hmm. known people who are you know, trans and. Uh, uh, non-binary, and I'm looking at it through the lenses which I have been offered, and yeah. I probably again my insight into this film is probably not as important or interesting. But um, but but again, it, our, our interpretations are both totally valid. And, perhaps, yeah, but not, but that's why I want to encourage other interpretations. So if if anyone is listening to this podcast has seen the film or wants to see the film and then share your thoughts, we would love to hear your thoughts. Mm. Uh, you can totally email us at. Uh, Letters at criticallyacclaimed.net uh, If you would like to have your thoughts read On an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail mm. uh, Again, we don't have time to read every email So if everyone emails us, we're going to be able to get to you But there's a really good chance We will, because I would love to actually Follow this movie a bit further And get more insight into it Yeah, uh, some other perspective Yeah, so we would, this is, this would, I think this would be particularly valuable So, um, if you can, cool No pressure, obviously, we don't mean to give you homework But if you're interested, we would love we would love to hear from you So once again, that's letters At criticallyacclaimed.net uh, And we might read email a coming episode Of We've Got Mail uh, We're also on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim I'm at William Bibiani I'm at Whitney Seibold uh, We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash criticallyacclaimed We've made a few small adjustments to the Patreon uh, Lately, so if you, if you are a member Of our Patreon and you haven't looked at it in a little bit uh, Check it out uh, we've moved some tears around our uh, podcast about the Oscars, which we've referenced a few times uh, today. Only the best has shifted from the $10 tier to the $5 tier. So if you sign up for the $5 a month, you're going to get a backlog of about 23 episodes of a podcast where Whitney and I are reviewing every single film ever nominated for Best Picture, starting from the first Academy Awards and moving forward. Mm. Uh, and that's going to be a new month, a monthly podcast at the five dollar tier from now on. A few other minor changes as well. We're also going to be uh, trying to focus our main feed here uh, into a bit more of a rigid schedule now mm. that things are starting to kind of equalize and normalize after the pandemic. We feel like we can maybe do that, and that's certainly a goal. Yeah, the, when when the pandemic really started, and yeah. and we. Uh, 
we're all stuck at home right, right away. We decided to sort of up our content yeah, when we, when, and when try, I, try to provide some entertainment while everyone was stuck inside. When we were all home, we mm-hmm. had a lot more freedom and we got really ambitious. And then what happened was things started sporadically opening up. People worked at certain times and not other times. And uh, school started like having digital uh, uh, classes. And all of a sudden our schedules got such that we could only see each other like four nights a week for a few hours at 11 p.m. Yeah, and we yeah. tried to make it work with our main, with our like really ambitious work schedule as best we could in that time frame. And over time, it's literally killing us. So we <laughs> want to produce as many shows as possible, but we need to scale back a little bit so that we can do so without dying. Yeah. Uh, so a few changes are coming, but nothing catastrophic. Um, but one thing that isn't going to change is that you can still vote for the next episode of the streaming club at any tier on our Patreon, even $1 a month. Uh, and next week, your options are all action movies on Paramount Plus, which is a streaming service we haven't explored a lot. Um, because it's... Because it's not, limited. Actually, there's not a lot to explore. No, but we do want to give it. We do want to at least see what's there. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, oh, where did I write? Oh, here we go. I wrote it down over here. Okay. Uh, so, and again, uh, the rules for uh, these uh, uh, nominees hmm. are: uh, Whitney picks two films, I pick two films, and the films that we pick are films that we've either never seen or maybe saw once when we were kids and we barely remember. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so, Whitney has selected the original. Michael Caine version of The Italian Job, uh, which is an iconic heist movie with an amazing car chase in it. You don't have to call me out like that. You could leave it ambiguous as to which of us picked I've what. I've talked about The Italian Job a lot. That's true. I, right. I, I have not seen the original. I won't. I won't okay, fine. I won't call anyone else out for the rest right. of it. Uh, we've got uh, the uh, the Bita Takashi uh, uh, crime thriller Sonatine. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I, uh, uh, I have decided to read these two last. They're certainly not my picks. Um... We've got the John Frankenheimer Christmas thriller Reindeer Games. Uh, and uh, the Jackie Chan Kung Fu classic Dragon Lord. Hmm. Uh, so vote for those. That poll will be up uh, very shortly after this podcast goes live. Uh, the Streaming Club is uh, going to, we're going to try to start releasing the show regularly on Fridays. Hmm. Uh, it's been a little sporadic, and we're trying to get this into a place where it makes more sense. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll have the poll up for a few days, give us a few days to watch the movies, and then uh, next week, as with this episode, it'll be up on Fridays. And then uh, We've Got Mail will be up on Wednesdays, and Critically Acclaimed will be up on Mondays, and the Patreon schedule will be uh, uh, sort of a Tuesday, Thursday weekend uh, yeah. kind of vibe. Um, okay, so that's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Big shout-out to all of our patrons, without whom, again, this show would not exist. Uh, if you can't afford to be a patron, leave us a review if you can find uh, a, a moment, star rating, a couple sentences, whatever is convenient for you. It really, really helps us find mm. uh, an audience. Uh, we already said Twitter. Uh, we've got a bunch of new soaps dropping on July 3rd uh, over on Etsy. Look for Salt Cat Soap. You can also follow Salt Cat Soap on uh, uh, Instagram and Twitter at Salt Cat Soap. We've got a lot of great new designs, and there's also a bit of a sale going on uh, at the store, I think, through the whole month. Mm. So... Uh, yeah, really good time uh, for people who love soap right now. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Uh, <laughs> Do you like washing? Who yeah. doesn't love washing? We've got we've got uh, lesbian vampire soap coming up. Hooray! With a brand new design. <laughs> uh, we've got retrowave nineteen mm. eighties uh, like neon pink soap that smells amazing. <laughs> I love that soap, uh, and a bunch of cool other designs as well uh, mm. that are all dropping on uh, July third. So be sure to check it out. 
uh, we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to keep you clean so uh, thank you everybody once again for listening to the streaming club and the podcast ends now (laughs) 